when everyone feels like what they say is actually being heard and matters, it gets them excited. And then they want to see like where the execution ends up going. So you feel like you had something to do with it. Welcome to Real Creative Leadership, a place where creative leaders can find insights and practical guidance on the day-to-day -day job of being a creative leader. We focus on real issues, topics, and insights of creativity in the business world. Join me as we explore the best strategies for developing your team, getting others to embrace your vision, and generating amazing experiences. This series is produced by The Stoke Group, and I'm your host, Adam Morgan, Adobe Executive Creative Director and author of Sorry Spock, Emotions Drive Business. And this is Real Creative Leadership. Hello everyone. Today we've got a special bonus episode of Real Creative Leadership. We're sharing parts of three conversations I had with creative leaders at Adobe Max this past fall, which was back in person in Los Angeles for the first time since before the pandemic. First up, you'll hear from Jess Kirkman, Executive Creative Director at Taco Bell and a past guest on the show. I started out by asking her some of the unwritten rules that create her team's culture, which can be especially tricky in our new hybrid and remote environment. Let's listen. I think we do a couple different kind of exercises and activities mm. that I think help. So one of the things we do, we do it once a month, um, but we do something called Design Wars. And it mm. is actually for everyone on the team, account managers, project managers, copywriters, whatever, um, where we pick a topic and you have 20 minutes and you design around that topic. Mm. And then we send that packaged up document to our marketing partners, our, our people across the wall, um, which kind of lends itself a little to what you were talking about earlier of how to make the entire marketing yes. team or the entire organization feel involved in the creative atmosphere. And so that's just something we do for fun, but they choose a winner. We crown them every month. We do something different like that. We also do something during our team meetings every week called Share Some Shit. Mm -hmm. And it's something I've been doing since my agency days um, where we're sharing inspiration. Mm. And our team's a little too big to have everyone share. It used to be when it was 12 people, everyone could go around and yeah, share. Yeah, yeah. But now uh, we pick two to three people, whether it's an Instagram site, a mural they saw, uh, a haiku they found, just something that inspired them recently. And we share that out and just kind of Talk. It could be a playlist, yeah. Um, collective playlist we have as well, just so if people do want to feel like they're connected during the workday. Um, so things like that, really kind of revealing what's getting people into their work. Oh, that's interesting. We do a thing called Creative Workshop every Friday morning for one hour. Okay. And we've made it now, it's like over the whole year, just one person per, per session shares. Yeah, like a book they read, a exactly. TED talk they watched, uh, whatever it is, bring in a guest speaker, whoever. Yeah. And it's really awesome, even beyond. And I like, let's talk a little bit more about, so beyond just the creative team, because mm -hmm. many of us have been doing this long enough that we know how to inspire fellow creatives, yep. but how do you inspire the adjacents? You uh -huh. talked about adjacents. Let's yep. talk more about that. So we've started calling uh, the non-traditional creative roles creative adjacent roles, because these are people that grew up loving art, loving design, having all creative friends, but never really learned the technical skills, didn't go to school for design necessarily, maybe they're other type of marketers, or again, our project managers, our account managers, our strategists. Um, so we try our best to make sure that we're not treating anyone on the team who's not a traditional creative role mm -hmm. any differently. So whether it's a brainstorm and we have account on the line taking notes, contribute and be a part of the conversation, debate. 
Um, I think we're encouraging everyone to speak up. We say good ideas come from anywhere. Yep, I think yep. that's a classic. Yep. But we honestly follow that. So within the organization, our hallway conversations, for example, if that sparked an idea from someone in the mailroom, we'll ladder it all the way up. We're trying to give everyone an opportunity to have a voice. And I think when everyone feels like what they say is actually being heard and matters, it gets them excited. And then they want to see like where the execution ends up going. So they feel invested in a way. And I think when you feel invested, whether you're the person making the creative or even making the calls or not, you feel like you had something to do with it. In the, in the days past, they would like want to have their desk near the creative department just mm -hmm. to feel the vibes yep. right, of everything. So I like that you're including them in more virtual meetings. And I know a lot of times, you know, many people on the teams will be like, no, I don't want to invite others because then they'll try and creative direct us and we don't want them to do that. So I think there's probably a clear line of like contributing versus creative directing. And as long as you keep those, those lanes safe, yeah. you know, then people feel like they want to open it up to everyone. I think in general, <laughs> some of the struggles I would say that my internal team has had when working with the rest of marketing has been that line of when everyone is considered a creative, you know, we make a joke, everyone's a creative director. Yeah. Um, everyone's a writer. It's exactly everyone's what, a, yeah. everyone's a writer, everyone's a designer, <laughs> you know, people are making presentations and... Um, but I think it's about educating how people can be most helpful. And that's what we've had to have a lot of conversations. We even had a presentation at one point, which was all about how to give helpful feedback mm -hmm. yep. that is not prescriptive, but more inspiring. Yeah. And it's all about solving problems at the end of the day. So we always say, what's the problem you're trying to solve? And let us find a million ways to solve it. And instead of saying, make it blue say, what are you trying yeah. to accomplish here? So we've had to have those conversations as new people come in and really draw the line between creative direction and not, um, which is never overly fun. But if you can make it so someone else feels more helpful, I think you're, you're providing something invaluable for the rest of their career, hopefully. Oh, yeah. That sounds so familiar. And for us, it's been like when you're giving good feedback, just think of your experience and your emotions that you're having rather than like so that you're not prescriptive it's like here i felt lost or yeah. here i felt confused or here i really like this because of whatever that kind of feedback is great for a creative because we're like yep. oh good i can fix this transition i can do this here or i can yep. do whatever without it being like you just told me to change it to blue and that's not yeah. helpful in the least so it's, that's really good it's funny because the way that i tend to lead is maybe non-traditional where I, i'm a gut person mm -hmm. and so i know a lot of people are like i don't want to go with my gut because I might change it to a more technical answer, mm. but I think there's something to be said about your initial reaction and your initial gut instinct to reviewing work. And so in the way that I lead or give feedback is really not necessarily super technical, but more about how it's making me feel and the shift in how I'm trying, how I want to feel from the work. And I let someone else interpret what that means to them and I find that I get a better result of reviewing creative when you let your creatives really try to find you where you're, where you're at instead of being told what to do. And so I, I really will try to say, hey, I'm feeling like this is taking me to this place mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I want to be over here. And so what can you do to get me over here? I'm not going to tell you, but help me in this direction. So oh, it's so fun. Trying to keep it high level yeah, yeah. a little bit. As creative people, it's all about emotions and yeah. putting ourselves in someone else's shoes and empathy and the, those journeys. So now yeah. let's move on to customers. So beyond okay. just helping adjacents feel creative, how do you stay forever 21? How do you 
help the audience feel like they're part of that creativity of your company and, and feel that energy? I love this because we actually call our consumers fans. Mm. We have people that, people love Taco Bell. <laughs> they, they, they're nostalgic for it. They, they get tattoos. You know, yeah. I, I, there's probably Wendy's or McDonald's tattoos. But people, <laughs> people really go crazy for Taco Bell. And that inherently makes it automatically so much more fun to engage because people want to engage. They don't feel like they're being sold to or marketed to. So it already gives us a platform where people are like, what do you guys have for us? What's next? And so I think we're constantly trying to reach the younger generation not necessarily because they're young consumers, but because they're the ones setting trends, mm. telling us what's cool. I'm all of a sudden way past cool. Yeah, so, oh, long since. <laughs> that's what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So I think we have to listen and not just do what they're saying to do, mm. but understand like what, where their headspace is at, what they're thinking about. Right now with the Gen Z demographic that pretty much evolved during COVID, we were once the 20 year olds were millennials yeah, yeah. at one point. And millennial was picture perfect, very much about individualism, um, what was in it for them. And then it shifted to Gen Z, and there's nothing that makes me feel older than talking about Gen Z. <laughs> um, but we shifted to Gen Z, and what that is all about is authenticity, mm -hmm. being raw, being real, standing for something, community. It's way less about curation and the individual and more about what you're part of and what feels good. So I think as Taco Bell starting to come into this new generation, it's less about marketing to someone and having them do something in a solitary kind of way. It's what kind of community are we creating? What kind of platform are we creating for other people to have voices and for them to tell us how they want our brand to react and respond to? And it's actually, I'm learning a lot, mm. but we're letting other people kind of drive. And that's a new hat to wear. Oh, that's interesting. And even if you think about like how technology has changed us in the last few years, how this pandemic has changed in the last few years, but you're talking about how the audience is changing you. Yeah. So tell me a little, let's dig into that a little bit more. Okay. How are, you know, what are the different, how is that affecting creativity? How are the different design trends and things? I know you talked about Anti-design? Anti-design. Maybe I made that. that phrase up. I don't yeah, know. We're coining it here. <laughs> okay. It's official now. <laughs> um, I'm, what I'm viewing and what I'm seeing is because we're coming from this place of authenticity and, and rawness. Rawness is in. If you look at, there's apps like Be Real and a bunch of things that are like, stop putting filters on. Stop making it picture perfect. Stop making it pixel perfect. What are the trends? And so I think it's affecting design in that and what, why I'm calling it anti-design is things that don't match. Mm. Stripes and plaid and put it all together. Typefaces you wouldn't normally pair. Colors you wouldn't normally pair. That at first you'd be like in traditional design where I've come from. There were so many rules. Mm -hmm. And I think we're getting to the point where we're breaking the rules purposely. And that's what we're starting to see in design where it's like no one can tell us we can't put this font with this color and we're starting to see some really interesting aesthetics um it's it's getting me out of my comfort zone i'm yeah, a very polished, we've been trained to make it look nice space. exactly um but i think there's something to learn from the anti-design and when i say that it's not we don't like design it's that we're not following the traditional design rules that have been set up for the last 60 to 100 years and we're creating new things coming out of that so I think that even lends itself to people learning the tools and the platforms and, you know, kind of bringing it back to Adobe. 
I was traditionally trained and had certain ways to do things. And I think people are starting to really mess with the rules that even Adobe's setting up. It's like, how can we stretch this? And I guarantee you guys are gonna be learning from the way that they're flexing and playing with the tools. And you're oh, gonna say, now we need to do something different. So I definitely think the new aesthetic is a little anti-tradition and a little wacky, a little weird, and a little off in the best way. So, oh, so we'll see what gets created from it. But. Yeah, we're going through that same phase of the, you know, with Adobe Express of how do we reach you know, other audiences that aren't the traditional pro designer, mm -hmm. right? And it's tricky. It's yeah. tricky to figure out what they want and, like in, and not just in design type and color like uh -huh. you're saying, but even in like photography. Yes. Well, it's funny you're bringing up photography. So food photography mm. is a huge part <laughs> of what Taco Bell does. Mm -hmm. And I actually have a couple of my photographers here today. And we have gone from the perfect tweezed food styling, standing tacos standing up on their own, the magic of POP and, you know, all the the more studio-based photography to how what's authentic to our product. Our product is messy, crunchy, saucy, melty, mm. cheesy. These are the words we're constantly evaluating our photography against. Are we feeling a visceral reaction to when someone's biting into a taco instead of like the bite and smile that Perfect. I think everyone's used to? So we're actually getting to a place with photography where we're breaking our shells. When I started even five <laughs> years ago, if there was a crack in anything, start I mean, over. we would Photoshop it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you'd have to start all over. But I think now we're at the place where it's like, how far can we push photography? How real can we make this look? And it's actually been a struggle to make things look real without being real. And mm. so what we're doing now is just having people interact with the food and just shooting it mm. versus pretend you're eating yeah, the food. Yeah. So we're just totally reframing how we're approaching photography, styling, design, everything. Um, and then you get into social platforms and even what's expected on there when it looks too curated, when it looks like there's too many design elements, like you couldn't create it on Instagram itself. Mm -hmm. We're actually kind of backing into like, what would this look like if you created it on your phone versus mm -hmm. spending six hours on the computer? So we're kind of like undoing a lot oh, of what we've learned. Well, then here's the next question, and maybe getting close to our last year. It's okay. like, then how do you not cannibalize that with other audiences and other more traditional people who like design? When they look at it, is it just like, oh, that's not for me anymore? Or is, there, or is it like the young group audience is leading the pack and we're all just going to follow and like that trend as a whole? I think trends come and go. Mm -hmm. And design aesthetic and, and classic kind of cases of design will ring true forever. Personally, I think that, I think we'll look at this as a moment in time the same way we looked at teased out hair and neon of the Grunge 80s. and, Hopefully, yeah. I think we're in a trend period and it's, it's a little uncomfortable and a little, little different, but I think we'll always come back to the true elements of design, which is why I do feel it's important as a creative to understand the basics, the 101, the history, the people that have gotten us to now. Um, how typefaces are made instead of just going rogue. I think you're always going to go back to that before a new trend develops. So I think we're a lot of people that are into design and tradition, traditional ways of design are viewing right now. Mm -hmm. we're, we're the viewers. We're learning. We're witnessing. But um, I think it will be a moment before the tides turn and we, we're on to the next trend. 
Thank you, Jess, that was an awesome conversation. If you missed Jess's first appearance on the show, head to realcreativeleadership.com, YouTube, or your podcast app of choice to find it. Next up, let's hear part of my conversation with Andy Vitale, Executive Vice President of Rocket Companies, parent brand of Rocket Mortgage. I started by asking Andy to give his perspective on the design-led movement. Yeah, you know, I think it happens, like, we've learned to put humans at the center of what we do. So the design-led movement is really the days of, like, putting out a product once in a while and expecting, based on who you are, that people are going to come and use it. We're starting to see that shift through technology on people that want problems that are relative to them that we can solve. So designers or the design, design thinking at a time or designing human-centered has really taken that person, that human, and put them in that center of everything, understanding the jobs that need to be done, understanding their intent, their outcomes that they're looking for, and really through collaboration, identifying ways to ideate and to take like something that's not just a screen, right? We've moved yeah. since like screens into entire ecosystems. So we're designing every single touch point, brand touch points. So really that shift has proven to be successful for companies, obviously. If you put the client at the center, the person that you want to like solve problems for, you're going to make their tasks easier. They're going to purchase your product. So we've seen there's lots of studies on how design-led companies outperform the S&P 500 and what that looks like over yep. time. So companies have wanted to adopt that and have started to adopt that over the last 10 years. That product thinking, that product design focus has really driven tremendous outcomes and has been great for the design industry. Yeah, let's, let's emphasize that part. It's been great. Right. Because in the past, we were always, you know, back in the creative cave and they were like, yeah, 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 maybe we'll listen to your designs. And now that we've proven it out and we know that design does, it makes a big impact on business. Now we have a seat at the table, which right. is what the fight has been for, for decades, right? Exactly. Okay. So now if we got the seat, here's the next big question. What are we doing with it? That's the question people are always like, okay, you've got a seat at the table. So what? What right. are you doing? How are you impacting business differently by being you know, in a, in a leadership position rather than just being finance or operations. Right. So I think the seat at the table that everyone talks about is really just having a voice in this discussion and adding a different value, a different like lens of value. So when you look at things through a designer lens, you open up collaboration, you look at infinite possibilities and you start to figure through like prototyping and testing and learning how you can drive outcomes. So in my position, what I'm able to do with that seat at the table is amplify the voices on the team. The people that typically are like, like you said, in that cave that never really get to come out. And what they're doing is really like doing some amazing things. And how do we put light on some of that? How do we help like what they're doing show the value to the company? Years ago, if it didn't come out of like a specific department or wasn't an initiative that was driven from the top down, it was like you never really saw yeah, that. You'd, yeah. you'd fight and struggle. So having that voice there really allows us to like, hey, have you taken a look at this? What if we did something a little bit differently? That designer lens that we are able to look at things through has been so different and helps people think outside the box. And when you do that, that inspiration that we create is contagious. So you start to get people on board. And it's a great way for us to be able to take like just a design-driven initiative mm. and get it just right in front of the right people and inspire them not just through what it can be, the art of the possible, but really start to show how it generates business value. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you really think about it, we're in the era of experience today, right. right? Like the big differentiator for businesses is how are you going to give that customer experience your special spin and how are you going to create some special, you know, moment for those right. customers and, and who better than designers and writers and creatives who have empathy and understand people and watch people and understand what they're going through and everything that they're doing, right? right. So with great 
what is it? With great responsibility comes great power. Exactly. Right? So what are we doing now that we're there? Let's talk a little bit more about in, more than just creating great experiences. How are we being responsible with it? Right. What, what about responsible design? Yeah. So I think, you know, <laughs> designers, the industry shifted where we're more interested now on the impact that we have long term than ever before because the stakes are greater than they've ever been. So being responsible, making sure that we don't make the mistakes we've made in the past. And the number one thing that we can do for responsibility is inclusivity. Mm. We know that bringing different perspectives to the table, whether it's someone that didn't come from a design background, someone that comes from a different like ethnographic background, someone that just has different education, just every different perspective that we can bring to the table and involve them in building the solution means that when we put it out there, we will have tested that and have gotten those perspectives. So we're not putting something out there that excludes somebody. And we've seen lots of that over the last, I don't know, 20 years of, of digital and the web. So <laughs> we've come a long way, I hope. Exactly. <laughs> so we're learning from our mistakes, but things like algorithmic bias, mm. it's still very real. Yep. And especially as we start to lean on technology, it's easy to say, well, the algorithm or something like that, right? But really, it's, it's humans that are designing that algorithm. So we have to pay attention to those things. And that's another thing that like being in my position gets like that responsibility is front and center all the time. You mentioned the last 20 years, but the last couple years right. have been very different. Yes. So let's talk about just in the current environment now. How are things changing with design in, in terms of you know us going more digital and because of the pandemic and changing the way we operate and how teams connect? Let's let's talk about that and also how technology has changed that. Yeah, those are those are two big questions. Yeah. So <clears throat> The pandemic has really focused on how we can collaborate without being in the office. Mm -hmm. Now, there are still benefits of being around people and collaborating oh, yeah. in person for this. sure like this, right? <laughs> and, and seeing people for, you know, at Max for yeah. the first time in a few years has been incredible. But there's also, we've proven that we cannot be in the same location and then tools enable us to collaborate asynchronously and still get the job done and get it done well. So I see the shift going to definitely more like flexible work environments and the other thing, though, is technology, right? We're seeing technologies are able to support that workflow. Technologies in general, or technology, has been this, like, Achilles heel for designers because there are always emerging technologies and new things that are coming out. And sometimes we don't have the opportunity to understand the, the impact of that technology. We just have to design in it in the moment. It's like, oh, here's Web3, like, let's get going on. <laughs> things like, and wait, like, how harmful can this be over time? We don't know. We won't know until a couple of years down the line, but... If we actually incorporate that responsibility into our best practices, then we'll make sure that what we put out there is going to be successful. But technology is always going to change. And we're going to have to stay ahead of that because all of us, our companies, want to stay in front. Okay, so now let me get into some questions, at least, that are a big part of my world right now. Of like, is there a right answer? You may not have a right answer, and that's okay. But um, it's this controversy of what leads. Okay. Is it brand? leading and then design and design systems just kind of follow whatever the big brand is or is it design systems are the the ultimate you know truth and brand needs to just kind of follow suit on that is, is that something in your world that happens at the end of the day it's how well the teams collaborate together because design systems are an extension of the brand now sometimes the design system has a little bit more leeway than a brand like my brand we work on commercials super bowl commercials those are some things with the brand that are kind of set in stone yeah, yeah, yeah. now how we represent that in the digital space, the design system gets to inspire that and gets to push back on that. So we're seeing our design system, especially as we look into like conversational design, the way we communicate the voice and tone is starting to impact 
and shift the way the brand leverages voice and tone. So we're leveraging the design system, things like pictograms and icons and gradients. There's an opportunity to like advance and enhance and add on to the brand that we get to test at that smaller digital scale and then roll that out further. But our design system in general has been, it, it's relatively new. We launched it this year and we're still figuring out full implementation across all of the areas. So it's that collaboration with engineering, getting on product roadmaps, like how we're working with our program managers to figure out how that all comes into play and how that sees the light of day is a wild experience to see for a big brand. Now, I think that the greater opportunity for us is to think about every single interaction that we have with a person is a brand experience. Absolutely. So the brand is promoting that awareness in different channels. And once we get them into that ecosystem, whether it's a phone call that they have with a banker for us, or it's just you know a, a mailer that they get in the mail, a text message, whatever it is, like that is the brand experience end to end. So the design system helps enhance that. Well, I, I love your answer and that's the truth. <clears throat> Even though we want like a silver bullet, the answer right. is you better work better together, right? Like, exactly. So when we have the brand team or the design team, it's like th that collaboration is critical even though, I mean, that's the rub, right? That's right. where there's gonna be friction because we all have different views and ideas of what the system should be and what the brand should be. But, <clears throat> all right, fair enough. I, I work better together. <laughs> right, it, and it's the healthy debate that pushes each other that really drives us yeah. forward. So last question. As we think about design systems and you know, we do a lot of user research and as we do all that user research, they always come back to us and say, oh, make it simple, make it easy to find things. And I think a big part of this, the, the latest trends in design systems has been to make it more human and understandable and easy and intuitive, right? But this is the big question of like, if we all keep pushing to towards this same goal of, of like the design system disappearing and it just becoming completely fluid, are all design systems just ending up the same? Like, are we all vanilla? Are we all just right. so simple and, and clean and white and nothing else getting in the way that we're all, there's no longer a, a brand differentiation. So how do you deal with that situation? So when we think about the design system and how it can really enhance the brand, we do worry, like, can this create such a level of consistency that it's blah, that the designers don't have like the ability to really push and the way we look at our design system is it's a huge like collaboration and contribution model. So we want to solve for things like buttons, but we also want to allow a little bit of flexibility so that the designers can do what they do and continue to push because that's where the innovation will happen. And then by testing and learning those best practices that we find out will make their way to the design system so we can roll them out at scale. So when we think about things like conversion rate or just in general, like what, what patterns will start to impact the business, our business metrics. And once we identify those and we test them and we validate them, then we're gonna roll them out at scale. So we always wanna promote that continuous learning so that the design system doesn't become stagnant and all of our properties look the same and feel the same. All right, big thanks to Andy for that great discussion. Finally today, let's hear part of my conversation with Nathan Dill, Vice President of Integrated Production and Innovation Director at Digitas in North America. We started out talking about how he and his colleagues are working to maintain strong morale and culture amid the stresses working at a busy global agency with teams distributed around the world. Let's listen. When you're in this environment where we've been the last two years where everyone is just grinding and grinding and there's been long days, I'm sure we're not the only ones at Digitas, I'm sure it's everywhere. And I bet they know it's everywhere. But we've had to take a, you got focus too on like teams and your morale and like celebrating the cultures and, and teammates because it's, it's really easy to lose sight of that or the days just kind of bleed into another and 
Sometimes you're, you're working until 8 o'clock at night, or you might take an hour off during the afternoon, but then you find it's so easy to just work and, and jump into another call, answer another email, respond to a brief, provide another estimate. Yeah. It's so easy just, just staying in that mindset. But what we tried to do and big more of a focus is also we can't lose sight of all of our people. And we got to celebrate the culture. You got to celebrate the wins. You got to celebrate like even the lows and giving recognition, right? Um, that's really been important to not only just to like retain your good talent, but to keep the morale up. And it's because we, we, we are still a team, even though we don't really see yeah. each other. And, and we don't, we're not side by side. So you really have to lean in a lot on that. It's kind of funny to think about that way. It's like we've become too efficient, right? We're just so good at just like getting stuff done. We've got to back off a little bit and put back into the system some of those inefficiencies, but the humanity in it. Right where we're still having little chats and conversations. And totally. I mean, I, I can't tell you like how many times you just one project ends and there's in your inbox are three requests for brand new estimates and projects, and it's like there's and it's so hard to take that beat mm -hmm. and actually like congratulate one another. Yeah. Or go out of your way to lend the recognition for someone going the extra mile or providing a creative idea or speaking up on a call when otherwise they would have never done that because uh, just the, whether it's a language barrier or like, you know, in teams and resources finding, finding their own groove with this. And yeah, you, you've got to make that time to, to really honor and appreciate that and give the recognition. So what are some of the purposeful things you've done to create that culture, to create that environment that it's like, it's not always just about being super efficient. It's about who we are as a company or who we are as a team. What are some of the things you've done? We've created what we call, uh, <laughs> we call it the, it's called the Third Wednesday. Which oh, is I love it. We had Thursday. Totally bizarre Third name. Thursday, yeah, Thursday. We, we used <laughs> to have First Tuesdays, mm -hmm. and then it became First Tuesdays. And then within our own capability, we call it the Third Wednesday. It's a work in progress title. <laughs> but uh, uh, but it it, it's, it's really like a monthly showcase. So mm -hmm. it's. It's about celebrating culture, so things like anniversaries, you know, new hires, things like life events. Um, and we put together a pretty lengthy deck. Uh, and it's, it's an hour-long meeting. It goes out to teams who are in you know, all over LATAM, US, even India. And everyone gets together. We block an hour out of the calendar. There's like, we try to gain as much, you know, as much participation. And the follow-through rate's been pretty good and like making sure that the calendars are free getting the full adoption from all the managers, you know, and senior leadership to like, this, this is really important and we need to make that time. And then through that, you're also sharing like, I, I went and took a trip and here are some pictures from my trip and here's where I gained inspiration. Or like, I'm leaning into these new ideas and this is where like, I gain inspiration to cultivate work in my own craft for what I do every day. And then also making time for like, yeah, you still need to celebrate the work. So we're, we're about four months into that, you know? Um, and it's all done by, like, it's, a, it's totally a team effort and, like, who has the ideas? How does a deck want to look like? Because um, we have all these great designers, and uh, in a way, it's also, like, another way for them to, like, work on their own skills, um, you know, soft skills or design skills, so. And even at the end, we leave 10 minutes for like a pause for kindness. And it's really great. What? Like, what like is that? It's like just if um, usually we'll get feedback of like, 
I've been, I've been working with, you know, so-and-so, and oh my gosh, like, they were so fast, and they were so responsive, and just giving those little, those little moments of, um, like, of kindness, and, and then even, like, opening it up to, like, in, like, in the moment, like, the, does anybody want to speak freely? Like, I, I want to recognize Heather, I want to recognize Michelle, or I want to recognize Andre for X, Y, and Z. And it's, it's pretty touching. Well, and part of what you're doing is building culture, right? And the problem we've had during the pandemic is lack of culture. So pausing for kindness and right. moments like that really create, you know, what we care about. What we, you know, it's the unwritten rules of culture that, that really influence. Right. Well, I want to dig back a little bit because this is almost like what we've been talking about is a little, not just culture, but it's also training or learning or you know, how we're growing, but you'd mentioned how part of your team is, has to be on the cutting edge, right? Like, your value you're bringing is, like, how are we better at all these tools? How are right. we better at all these things? So what are you doing in that area of, like, prepping for the future? How are you getting your team to be the best at all these new things? Well, you have to lean into it pretty heavily. We, we carve out time to do, like, R&D. So mm. if we find something, okay, how, how quickly could we work up a prototype? How quickly could we work up, like, proof of concept? Mm -hmm. Um, so we make time where it's not always about, sure, we all want to stay billable um, as an agency, but also we can rely on usability. So if we have time baked into like, if it's a 40-hour work week and if you need to be billable 32 hours, we can still use eight hours of that time to go out and explore and just try stuff. And bringing stuff in-house you know, in where we all have admin rights where we can download software and tinker and test and tinker and test and draw up a, a quick proof of concept, put it into a deck, schedule a meeting, like, hey, this is something we're just kind of like trying out. Any like initial thoughts or feedback? How do you force that to happen? Because I've, I've talked about that for years and years and we always have like a plan for it, but it just disappears. Like how do you make yeah. that sacred that it really works? It's, I should say it's tough to do that week over week. So yeah. a lot of times client work still trumps. So yeah, yeah, yeah. if you got a client billable work, that's always going to take priority. But when there, there are always going to be pockets of when there's just downtime, right? Ebbs and flows. And there's a lot of that um, throughout, throughout the course of the year. But you really have to make an emphasis. And uh, really it takes just some foresight and some advanced planning. Of, and it's, uh, then it's an exercise in thought leadership. Yeah. And a lot of our clients are demanding that, you know, from us. So it also kind of satisfies and, and checks that box as well. That's interesting. We've actually come to a similar place where it's like, if we want to create an innovation lab, we almost have to, like, put it as part of the schedule where it's like, so-and-so, you're, this is a project and it's actually kicked off and you've got to get rolling on it and kind of force the, force our hand a little bit so that people yeah. actually work on some of these things. And we used to have an innovation lab, again, when we were all coming into, mm -hmm. like, one location. That's unfortunately probably no longer going to happen. So, <laughs> so now you really have to like, okay, well, if we had this dedicated space that we all invested in, we bought all this cool tech and software and built this good workstation uh, to bring into clients and just to like ideate on ideas. Well, then we, if we're not, not going to have that in-house and, and in one physical like building, we, then we have to like take what we would normally take that time for and still bake it into like, we're at home, so we got to still take those hours and still make those investments to sell and work that way as well. All right, thanks Nathan for that interesting chat at Max. And finally, thanks to Jess and Andy. And thanks to all of you for watching and listening to this special bonus episode. 
As always, you can find us at realcreativeleadership.com. We've got a full catalog of past shows, and you can also email from the site to ask a question or suggest a future topic. You can watch and subscribe to the show at YouTube at youtube.com slash realcreativeleadership. And we're also on all the other social channels as well. You can find me at adamwmorgan.com, and you can learn more about The Stoke Group, the digital marketing and content agency that produces this show, at thestokegroup.com. We invite you to connect and engage with us in some way. Leave a comment about one of the shows, like or share one of our episodes online, or post a comment or question on social media. We'd love hearing from viewers and listeners about what's interesting to you and what you'd love to hear more of. So thank you again. We'll see you on the next episode as we officially kick off season four of Real Creative Leadership. Thanks for listening to Real Creative Leadership. I'm your host, Adam Morgan. This series is produced by The Stoke Group full-service digital marketing agency that specializes in content marketing, video, and interactive experiences. If you're looking for a partner to build a strategy and content that delivers, visit thestokegroup.com and connect today.